This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Many thanks to Amy Smith, the uh, new gymnastics coach at Clemson, who just joined us. Uh, we have more guests coming up for you this hour. Um, we'll get to Christina Foreman from Duke softball. Blue Devils trying to catch Virginia Tech, man. Mm-hmm. Hokies are smoking hot. We'll get in all that stuff for Christina. And also, Brittany McKinney will join us coming at the bottom of the hour talking about lacrosse, right? We'll get in all that stuff. But we started uh, one of our topics today with a great regular season showdowns in ACC history, right? And I gave you four or five. And again, we threw this out there on social media. Folks can have fun. You can call on the show as well. 844-SAY-ACCN. And we'll start with a phone call. Jamie in Virginia has been holding patiently. Jamie, good morning. How are you? Good morning, fellas. How are y'all doing? We are great. What's going on? Um, you mentioned the 1990 game with Georgia Tech. I I still have uh, recollections about that because, you know, it was my senior year in, in high school, and I, I still haven't gotten over that game. But but anyway, I digress on that. But uh but I was going to talk about the 1995 Florida State Virginia game, which Virginia yeah. won. They beat, you know, they gave Florida State their first uh, first loss in the ACC. You know, 20, we snapped their 29 game winning streak, and no matter what work done or Danny Pinnell says that uh, Adrian Barnum and uh, Anthony Poindexter did stop him at the uh, stopped him at the uh, half uh, half yard line. But, uh, but anyway, that that was. That was the game that I, I keep going back to. I mean, uh, Tiki Barber he got he got introduced to the country that that game uh, that day and everything. So, but uh, but that was the game I was going to talk about. Yeah, that was a great one. And by the way, you're right about Danny uh, talking about that. I've heard him say that multiple times. He was in, and I, that game was on. I don't know a couple months ago, and I remember watching it again because it was such a great bat, a great football game. But the end of that deal, he was still short. I don't care what Cannell says. He did not get in, and that was a great night for the folks in Charlottesville. But I appreciate the phone call. That's a great reference, 95, Florida State. Virginia. Yeah, and you know, for a Virginia fan, you can sort of expunge that because from 1995 onwards, I mean, every time Florida State and Virginia played, that's all you heard, 1995. That's the last time Virginia won, 1995, until, what was it, 2018 or 2019 when, when UVA pulled out the win. But Florida State was so dominant. When they joined the league. So dominant. Right. I mean, they were so good. And they, and again, Bobby Bowden's teams really changed the way the game was played in our conference because they introduced speed, 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 and then some more speed. And really, Clemson might have been the only team in the early part of the 90s. I know Georgia Tech won the national championship splitting in the 90. But nobody really saw that kind of brand of football. And the league had to play catch up. So the question became, who was going to be able to do it? Who was going to be the first to knock off Bobby Bowden in Florida State? Well, the answer turned out to be the University of Virginia in Charlottesville with George Welsh. And it was a great football game. Yeah, that was part of the run when Florida State had something like 15 consecutive, what was it, top, top five fives. finishes? Right. Just incredible. Yeah, they were incredible. And again, Bobby Bowden, God rest his soul, uh, brilliant coach. But he just, he kind of brought, it kind of reminded me of what Spurrier brought to the SEC. We're going to throw it all over the yard. Everybody has to figure this out. Bobby Bowden did the exact same thing to the Atlantic Coast Conference. Said, hey, here's how we're going to play. Mm-hmm. And if you can't match us up, you're in deep trouble. We'll run you right out of your own building. And, you know, for everybody in this conference, when they joined the league, when they came to your house, you bought a ticket because you wanted to see the show. That's what Florida State was all about. And that was the measuring stick for a long time. 
All right, we're going to do uh, some social media tweets because there's been a bunch of people that have jumped on board again. What regular season matchup? High stakes ultimatum in ACC history. You could go any sport you want on this thing, all right? Anywhere you want to go. So we're going to float, throw up a couple uh, social media tweets and see where everybody else goes. I gave you four or five earlier today in the show. I uh, try to go one in the 80s, the 90s, in the early part of this century and last century. Yeah. Uh, this one's a no-brainer, right? Uh, Virginia Tech 07. Right? We talked about BC, Virginia Tech, and uh, this home Berg. Berg, right? Is that like, reading that right? Uh, BC, Virginia Tech in 07. Matt Ryan, come back. Again, that pass he throws across his body. Incredible throw in the rain. In the rain. And just an incredible environment in Blacksburg, as usual. No surprise. Yeah, that, that was that was a big moment. It, it ultimately did cost Virginia Tech uh, a national title shot, as uh, this home Beberg spells out. Yeah, uh, we talked about that one. Again, Virginia Tech still waiting for that national championship opportunity. Maybe Brent Pry can turn things around up there in Blacksburg and get them back on the fast track again. We, I say it all the time. There's uh, three or four schools in this league in football that need to be good. Mm-hmm. You want to change that national narrative? Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech. They have to be good. So from that perspective, we'll see what happens with the new man in town in Blacksburg. Uh, next up would be uh, McCovey Cove. By the way, I love that topic oh, already. That's, that's your love language. Everything about that makes sense to me. He said, I would have to go with the 05 North Carolina Duke game in the Smith Center. ACC championship on the line. North Carolina down nine under the four timeout. And then loose ball, recovered Marvin. He scores. He says it's the loudest he's ever heard to Smith Center and signaled really the arrival of Roy Williams and at uh, North Carolina. Yeah, they, that would have been Roy's first, second season. Second, second season, yeah. Boy, they had, I mean, like I said, you could go Duke-North Carolina on this one in regular season games. Uh, but to me, that's why football jumps off the page to me. Because it's kind of, that, to me, is the all-in loser-leave town match. That, hey, we win, you lose, we move on, you go home. But Duke-North Carolina basketball, I've had so many so incredible many. games, but – they both always go on to the NCAA tournament. So it's always felt a little different to me. Basketball feels like a volume play. Yeah. And football, you're short in quantity. There's only a certain amount of games, finite games. It just seems to stick a little longer with us. Yeah, to your point. And it's not just NCAA tournament. You know, we often get Duke Carolina again in the ACC tournament. Um, haven't had it in the NCAA tournament except for this year. But, yeah, both go on and – you sort of remember the end point of the season more than anything else. Yeah, I, I can't even give you, like, for example, before we get to the next one, um, like Duke-Maryland, when the Terps were still in the league, oh, yeah. and Gary Williams had it going on in College Park. Uh, and North Carolina struggled. That was probably right after Dean had retired and Guthridge and North Carolina was not quite North Carolina as we expected it. But I thought the Duke-Maryland series took, like, a whole new animal. It, it, it like, elevated. And, again, Maryland went on to eventually win a national title – K had great teams, but those games at College Park, uh, Duke's incredible comeback that uh, we talked about not too long ago, Jay Williams leading the way and all that yeah. stuff. They had amazing regular season games. Oh, those are fierce. The, you know, the Juan Dixon, Steve yeah. Blake teams, yeah. uh, Lonnie, uh, Lonnie Baxter. Yeah. 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 Awesome. All right, next one. Let's go. After McCovey Cove, uh, how about this deal? Remember it like yesterday, my sophomore year in high school from Chapel Hill in 1990, North Carolina holds Georgia <laughs> Tech to a 13-13 tie that ruined Georgia Tech's undefeated season. Georgia Tech was forced to split the championship with Colorado. North Carolina had a few red zone stops and one incredible run by uh, Natron Means. Natron Means business. Yeah. 
13-13 tie. Man, I am so glad we have eliminated ties in college football. As a Syracuse fan, you know, 1987, the Sugar Bowl, Pat Dye, Auburn, kicks the field goal. Weak. Tie the game, robbed Syracuse of a national championship, you know. Um, people still send him, you know, tie-dye shirts and tie-dye ties. Well, God rest his soul, old yeah. Pat Dye, one of the all-time great coaches. But you know what? There's no place for ties in sports. One of my issues with soccer. One of your many issues with soccer. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, and poor Casey, <laughs> poor Casey back in Bristol is like, Pac, we got to help you on soccer. I said, you really do, but there should never be a sport into the time. I don't even understand it. That whole concept makes no sense to me. Why would you even participate if a game could end in a tie? That was uh, in Ted Lasso's opening press conference. You ever watch Ted Lasso? Yeah. You know, when he's talking about what, what do you know about the sport? And he goes, well, you know, you, you play to win the game or whatever. And, you can tie. Go, oh, yeah, I forgot you have those ties over here. The ties stink. It makes no sense why you even have them. Break the freaking tie. It's not that hard. Uh, Jason Jordan is up next. Uh, he talks about Judgment Day, North Carolina, Florida State in 1997. Of course, Mac Brown was the coach in uh-huh. Chapel Hill. Mr. Bowden was still rocking it in Tallahassee. Two undefeated top five teams. Kenyon Stadium was rocking. It was North Carolina's only loss, costing him a chance to potentially play for a title. Put Florida State in a position to play for a national title until they lost to Florida in the regular season finale. Great game, right? Great hype. But Florida State was just simply too good for everybody. They, <laughs> they were too good for everybody for a long, long time. And, and it's funny, you know, we see Virginia, Florida State, North Carolina, Florida State. They were that one piece, that one constant yeah. in so many of those games. Right. They were, the, they were the standard. Right. They really were. And, again, Bobby Bowden, again, rest his soul, like I said earlier, but he set such a precedent, such an impact in this league, uh, total domination from that perspective. All right, we'll get to some more of these later on. We have tons of guests coming up. Number for the show is 844-SAY-ACCN. But when we return, we go switch gears, softball. Duke softball, more specific. And we're talking with Christina Foreman, and she continues to rake. Man, she's hitting everything in sight. Duke, the reigning ACC champ to women's softball, but they're all catching, trying to catch Virginia Tech. All that's coming up next. Packer and Durham right here on the ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Packer and Durham Power Hour continues. A couple guests coming your way. More of your tweets, all that good stuff. 844-SAY-ACCN, the number for the program. Uh, last year, Duke surprised everybody in women's softball. Kind of a brand new program. Things are good. Florida State's the standard. Clemson had a great year. But it was Duke that closed the deal. And the Blue Devils this year having another big-time year. And Christina Foreman joins us, making her debut on the show. Christina, first of all, uh, welcome to the program. It's a pleasure having you on here. And congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having me. Super excited. Uh, very cool. So, all right, let's get into it. You're hitting everything in sight, right? I mean, that softball's got to look like the size of a beach ball coming in there. Yeah, I've been doing pretty well, but only with the help of my coaches and teammates. They um, Coaches give us a plan, and, you know, we just have to go up there and execute it. And so um, these past couple of weeks, I've definitely been executing well. You guys are reigning ACC champs. How do you guys look at that? Do you see yourself as still, hey, we're the team everyone's got to go through? In a way, yes, but also knowing that last year doesn't mean anything and 
one game doesn't mean anything. I think going into this tournament, we still have to play with that chip on our shoulder, you know, not getting the credit that we deserve and knowing that, yeah, we may have a target on our back, but that doesn't matter because all we have to do is play Duke softball. And I think everything will work out in our favor and we will be ACC champions again. So just have to be us. You know, that, that's exactly right. You've got to be you. Uh, but, you know, every year is different. And I and just mentioned a second ago, last year, the, the talk going into the tournament was, oh, man, Florida State, Clemson, they hadn't seen each other all year. It's going to be the ultimate showdown. At the end of the day, Florida State and Clemson are on the couch and you're holding the trophy. So, I mean, it's a reason we play the game and keep score. But, Christine, it seems like this year in ACC softball, it's better than it's ever been before. I mean, there's five teams consistently ranked in the top 20. Uh, you're part of this. Uh, I mean, you've seen the league. I know the last series is getting started this weekend. But my goodness, it just seems like ACC softball has never, ever been better. Yes, of course. It's definitely an up-and-coming conference. And we catch everyone by surprise. You're like, oh, Notre Dame's in the top 25? Duke's in the top 25? Um, but it's just been awesome. Just the level of competition has, has grown, getting us ready for postseason and um, playing these teams every week and just prepare us for, you know, regionals and super regionals. So it's super exciting to see the ACC grow so much and do so well this year. You were telling us a moment ago, you can now focus fully on softball because you are done with school. Tell, tell the people what the balance was like with athletics and your pretty uh, considerable coursework. Yeah, definitely tough. Super tough, but, you know, this is what I signed up for. When you go to Duke, you know that you have to be excellent at both realms. You have to be excellent in athletics as well as academics. So this is kind of what I signed up for. But, you know, that doesn't go without saying that it was super tough and super hard. Definitely a lot of time management went into it and <clears throat> relying on my seniors to, you know, give me some tips and tricks as to, you know, talking to my professors and, you know, um, doing what I need to do on the field as well as in the classroom. And so, um Definitely took a few weeks and a few semesters to kind of get get the hang of it, but um, glad to say that I'm done and I I've been through it and I'm through it. So T toughest final exam that you took? Um, my toughest final exam was a eight page single space paper on um, how people got to Madagascar. Um, <laughs> we had never talked about it throughout the semester, and our teacher was just like, "Write this." And so <laughs> for me, that was super tough, um, but it was actually pretty interesting. Uh, you need to tell folks uh, what you double majored in, because this will put things totally in perspective. This, this is not underwater <laughs> basket weaving we're talking about that Anisha and I would be involved with. Right. You, you are doing some serious heavy lifting. So just explain to folks what you did academically at Duke. Of course. So I decided to double major in biology as well as evolutionary anthropology, which is basically you know how humans kind of evolved. Um, like for monkeys and things like that. And then I also minored in chemistry because I'm on the pre-med track. So, yeah. That is impressive. So, again, congratulations on all that. I say this all the time. As soon as somebody steps foot on a college campus, the goal is to get a degree, right? I mean, if you play sports, awesome. You play for championships, icing on the cake. But you really are the, like the perfect description of what a student athlete is supposed to be. So, again, congratulations on all that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Now, now that school's rearview mirror for the short term, uh, you can focus everything now down the stretch, but this is going to be an uphill climb. I mean, Virginia Tech has been out of sight. They got great pitching. We know about Florida State. Uh, you stole the show last year winning the ACC title. It's not going to be easy moving forward, though, is it? 
Definitely not. I know that Florida State and both Virginia Tech are going to come back with a vengeance, but you know we're going to give them a run for their money, and they're not going to they're not going to take what's ours. Christina, I want to ask you on on a bit of a serious note. I know softball is a very close community, and you guys played James Madison last month. There was news recently about uh, their starting catcher um, Lauren Burnett taking her life by suicide. What sort of conversation chatter has that generated amongst you and, and your teammates since you guys heard about it yeah of course so it was obviously really sad to you know hear the news of Lauren Burnett we had just played them a few weeks ago and um we have a few teammates who are pretty close with some of the girls on the team so um it was definitely really saddening to hear and I think that um our coaches really took it to heart um actually last Friday we had a team meeting where we set some time aside during practice and we kind of talked about the struggles um, that go on with student athletes and, you know, ways that they can mitigate, you know, the process and, you know, being here and as well as just talking with our other teammates to, to open up about some of the struggles that we face and, you know, to know that we're not alone. And so um, our coaches are very adamant and Duke Athletics is also very adamant about um, providing us with a whole bunch of resources that we can do. But, you know, at the end of the day, I know Lauren's teammates didn't know and um, it's mm-hmm. definitely tough. So just we these last couple of weeks, we've really just been, you know, coming together really closely and just trying to provide a safe space for anyone to talk about, you know, whatever they need to. And, um, but mental health matters and we're actually having our mental health awareness, uh, weekend this week. And I know it shouldn't just be a weekend. It should be a, a year long thing, but, you know, taking small steps to, you know, raise awareness and, um, cause this, this can't continue to happen. It's been three female student athletes over the last couple months and it's not okay. And so, we're definitely pushing for change. Something has to be done, but it's kind of a sticky situation that we're in. But we're all rallying together and, you know, trying to shed some light on on, on the problems and the struggles. Christine, I'm glad you brought that up because I know that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And the ACC, as a matter of fact, is having a summit yesterday and today where all the doctors and physicians are coming in. And, you know, we just take for granted, I think, sitting on the couch watching everybody perform, whether it be women's softball, football, basketball, whatever it is, that everything's cool and fine. But, you know, uh, having uh, two daughters that just graduated through college and going through this COVID process, I know how difficult it is for young people, much less grown adults, but young people to, number one, try to experience the college life, but yet have to go through this pandemic and all the, the bells and whistles and hoops and things you got to jump through. It isn't easy, is it? I mean, it's something that really yeah. having open conversation and dialogue, whether it be amongst your peers, members of your team, you know, on your team, uh, whatever the case may be, it's something that we should all take note of. And regardless of what your age is, what you do for a living, whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, whatever, uh, there is an outlet for help. And I know that's something that's been emphasized by the ACC a great deal. And I love the fact that you brought that up, that that's something that becomes an open dialogue, even amongst your staff and everybody else. Of course. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you're one of the leaders on this team. You know, do you kind of look at, hey, what is it that I can do if I see somebody who I think might be struggling? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, we actually had a, t- a talk about this yesterday with one of our sports psychologists talking about maybe some of the signs that you can see. You know, you know some of them are invisible. Some people, you know, hide it. But um, some of the signs that we talked about were changes of behavior, you know, isolation and things like that. And 
Um, we talked about just asking if they're okay and just doing check-ins with, you know, people that you're close with, because sometimes that's all, that's all they need is someone to acknowledge that, you know, yeah, maybe I have been acting different. Maybe I have, um, been feeling off. And so just someone else acknowledging that may, you know, urge them to get help or, you know, make them want to come from that dark place. But, you know, sometimes it is invisible. Sometimes you can't see when people are struggling. Sometimes people are able to hide it. And so, you know, in those cases, it's, it's tough because you don't really know what to do. But um, we did definitely talk about some of the signs that um, we could identify and, and to get help. And I urge all the girls to, you know, I'm always an open ear, a non-judgmental ear, and um, just a friend at the end of the day, because softball is just something that we do. But you know, I really love my teammates and the girls on my team for who they are and who they are as women. And they're incredible women. And so I'm just there for them, you know, on a personal note, even if it is not about softball, I'm just there for them. And I hope they all know that. And I make it a point that, you know, they know that. Christina, we've uh, talked so much this week already about name, image and likeness, the transfer portal, all the stuff that's going on in college athletics. Uh, have you seen any kind of bump since name, image, and likeness was introduced to the world in college athletics back in July of 21? Have you been able to maximize anything on that front? Yes. Yeah, so I kind of I have a partnership with Liquid IV, and I'm able to um, post a little bit on my Instagram, and I uh, have a code, and they also send me some stuff, and um, I get some like the compensation, like 20% of um, people who use my code. Um, so it has been really cool to just to just use that because, you know, we are college athletes and we are we have this platform that's so big and reaches so far and so wide. And so it's incredible that we've been able to, you know, use our names and use our um, our platforms to do some good and and to, you know, make a name for ourselves that goes beyond our sport. Well, I love everything about that. And that, again, that's how name, image, and likeness is intended to be used as opposed to some kind of inducement. But uh, you're doing all the right things, of course, with your academic a situation. I don't know how you find time to even do that, but it's all cool. Uh, before we let you go, I know Anisha asked you about your hardest exam. Our traditional question for everybody that makes their debut on the show kind of involves that. So I'm going to kind of put you on the spot with this one. Uh, since you've been at Duke, though, what has been your hardest class? My hardest class definitely has been organic chemistry, too. Um, we actually, I took it in the spring during softball season. So that was pretty tough to, you know, balancing, missing a whole bunch of class, but I actually had to take one of my exams in Mexico. We actually had a tournament in the Puerto Vallarta tournament and I had an exam that I couldn't make up later. And so I actually took an exam in the middle of the lobby at our hotel in Mexico. Gosh, that's focus. So definitely worked out. <laughs> that is focus. You're in Puerto Vallarta and you got to take an exam. Wow. That's yes. focus. <laughs> That's why you go to Duke. Yeah. Right? That's why you go to Duke. You get the, you're playing a sport. You get to travel to Mexico. And I got to take an exam in the, in the lobby of the hotel. That's, that, that is why you go to Duke. Uh, listen, you're a joy to talk to. A continued success. Really, congratulations on your accomplishments in the classroom, what you're taking care of business on the diamond as well. And we wish you the very best, not only this weekend, but also later on as you guys try to defend that ACC championship. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys for having me. You got Thank it. Take you. care of yourself. Best of luck. Christina Foreman. How impressive is that? Right? Uh, I mean, that's, that, that shows you what a student athlete is, right? You're in, you're in Mexico. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a business trip of sorts, right? You're there to play, but you're also in Mexico and you got to focus on an exam. 
and I mean clearly double major, minor in chemistry or organic chemistry two, 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 like there's two of them. Different beasts, man. You know, I also say one thing, and I mentioned that the ACC is having their summit. Uh, day two is today of mental health. And it, its I'll emphasize this again. We take it for granted do. with what we do for a living. And again, it's one of the cool things about this show is we've had so much fun with the student athletes. But they have really been through it. I don't care what the sport. When you start talking about the pandemic that's hit, the pressures that you're under, name, image, and likeness, you got everybody pulling you in every which direction. Oh, by the way, you still got to go to class. Again, I go back to education and why this league kind of separates itself from everybody else. It's always been important. And, and to hear what Christine had to say regarding mental health and that conversation that's constantly taking place in the locker room, uh, I, I think it's really important for all of us as fans to understand what young people are going through. It, it's, a, it's a different animal, man. Yeah, and I think even for, for, for us, right? I mean, you know, I'm kind of from a different generation too. I know you are. Yeah. That stuff wasn't talked about no, when we grew up. Ever. That stuff wasn't stuff that you you brought up. You didn't go see a counselor. You didn't go seek help when that stuff came out. And I think it's it's good for us too. I mean, I learn more and more about this stuff every time I listen to it. Every time I hear about it, uh, there's blind spots that, that we need to address in how we cover it as media and how we approach it with the people that we know and don't know. Social media makes it harder because so much of our lives are now out there. And we project a version of our lives that may not align with reality and where we're really at mentally, but it's what we want people to see. And so oftentimes the world at large sees what you project on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and they don't get to see the real you and they don't get to see that vulnerable side. And, and, and there's a danger there. Yeah, 100%. But I appreciate Christina talking about that and being comfortable saying it on air. Uh, it's something we should all keep in mind. Uh, quick break. We come back. Guess what? She's back. Brittany McKinney's going to break it all down for us. A little softball action comes your way. It's what we're doing. Power Hour is upon us. Lee Shaw filling in for West. It's Packer and Durham on ACC Network. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. Packer and Durham, Power Hour continues. Still got softball in the brain. Many thanks to Christina Foreman from Duke. She was tremendous, making her debut. Uh, back for more on the show, though, to uh, take this to another level, if you will, is uh, Brittany McKinney, who joins us, ACC Network Analyst. You can see her all over the place. She's ubiquitous this time of the year because <laughs> softball is taking front and center. All right, Brittany joins us. Brittany, first of all, good morning. Always a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, around these parts in the ACC land, five teams in the top 25, I think we touched base with this the last time we had you on the league, I don't think has ever been better. No, I, I, <laughs> there's no doubt. This is the best I've ever seen the ACC across the board. Top five teams. We had a just an ACC conference series in prime time top five matchup between Virginia Tech and FSU. And I mean, the viewership on those games were just huge. I think the ACC bringing in Duke and Clemson with new programs. I think this is just the beginning and this is the best I've ever seen this conference. And I, I think the future is very bright for the conference moving forward. You know, we've seen domination from the Pac-12 and then of late the SEC. What do you feel has contributed to the ascent of the ACC in softball? I think the the visibility as a whole for softball, you know, we're on TV so much more, 
people on the East Coast are seeing the competition on the West Coast. The travel ball on the East Coast is really picked up. And I think the visibility of it. And then, like I said, you brought in Clemson, you brought in Duke. You've got these great coaches coming in, you know, new coaches at Virginia Tech. I, I think just the competition and the expectations keep getting higher and higher for this conference. And, and these young women are stepping up to the plate, <laughs> no pun intended, but they're really showing that the East Coast can be dominant, just like the West Coast has been for, for a very long time. Brittany, as we head into the last series coming up this weekend, I mean, we know what Virginia Tech's done. They've won the ACC regular season. Florida State's been a standard. Uh, last year, Duke surprised everybody in the tournament. John Rittman, the job he's done at Clemson. Notre Dame's having a good year. But as you kind of crystal ball the last weekend of the regular season, what do you see here in, in terms of getting ready for the tournament and postseason play? You know, I look at that Louisville-Notre Dame series uh, – Notre Dame is right on that cusp of being a top 16 seed. So I think that's going to be a really important uh, series. And Louisville is still trying to make their resume to even get into the tournament. Um, but you got to look at that North Carolina-Syracuse series as well. Uh, if North Carolina gets swept, their their season's essentially over. You know, they probably they don't make the ACC tournament. Syracuse slips in in front of them. So, that, you know, you go into this last weekend, there's a, there's a lot at stake. And then, you know, the Pitt-Duke, Duke, you want to go into the – they want to be the conference champions again, so they need that momentum going into the tournament. Right, we've talked about some heavyweights. Is there an under-the-radar team that you've got your eye on? Yeah, you know, we talked about how good this conference is. So having that underdog, I'm, I'm going to go with Georgia Tech. You know, I've liked them from the beginning. I like their fight, their grit, their scrappy, their well-coached. And that's the kind of team you need to be going into the ACC tournament. It's a whole new season. Record books are out the door. It doesn't matter. I really, my eyes on Georgia Tech to really maybe make some noise in the ACC tournament. They're, they're just, a, they just got that it factor, I think, that could take them pretty far. You know, we always talk about folks that can rake, whether it be baseball, softball, but eventually you got to have some folks in this particular case in the circle that can just go ahead and try to shut you down. This league is loaded in the pitching department, isn't it? <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you got Peyton Tidd and Hollowell at Notre Dame. You've obviously got Rochard and Limley at Virginia Tech. You've got the staff down in Florida State. And then you've got Clemson with Valerie Cagle and the freshman Thompson in the circle. You could go on and on talking about how each team has has a great ace. And I, I think to differentiate the best staff or the best pitcher in the ACC, I think Florida State's got a great staff led by Catherine Sandercock. And she may have a little more juice in the tank going late in postseason, but you know Virginia Tech—you <laughs> can't beat the Keely Richard and Emily Emma Limley uh, duo in the circle. And it's been fun to watch these pitchers go at these these hitters this year. Brittany, I know we still have some time, but if you were to take a guess now, how many of these teams do you feel could legitimately get to Oklahoma City? You know. I think legitimately we're going to see Florida State and we're going to see Virginia Tech there. I think they're going to be a top eight seed. They've put themselves in a situation where they're only going to pack their bags when they're going to Oklahoma City. They're going to be at home for regionals and supers, and that makes a big difference. The other team that I think is right on the cusp, I just think the inexperience hopefully doesn't catch up to them, but it might, is Duke. I think they have they have the talent to be there, but you know that inexperience kind of leaves me little question mark, but I, I think Virginia Tech and Florida State will definitely be there. By the way, um, 
Do you think there's staying power with what Virginia Tech's doing here? I mean, I, I, it's been incredible to watch them because Florida State's been such a standard. And the Hokies, I know, were knocking on the door last year. This year, they've knocked the door down. They take two out of three uh, from Florida State in Tallahassee looking for the sweep. They had that lead, and then they think got away from in the last game. But what, what about the staying power of the Hokies moving forward? Big picture. You know, if you would have asked me this question last year, I would have been like, oh, you know, they may they have that stud pitcher in the circle. They may be this this big talk of the town, and then next year, rebuilding year. But what surprised me this year was the freshman Emma Limley. I mean, she has the potential to be just as good as Keely Rochard. And then their offense, you know, they, they didn't have this kind of powerful offense that they did last year. And they've got great freshman class, underclassmen that have, can hit the ball. So I think they're just going to be reloading for the next few years. Yes, losing Rochard in the circle is going to be a big a big miss next year, but you know, they can do it all. They play defense, they hit, and then they've got uh, Emma Limley. She's going to got some big shoes to fill, and I think she's going to do it. Virginia Tech will be around for a little while. Brittany, you know what I like about their team? Every time we've had an interview this year, whether it be coach or player from Virginia Tech, there, there's not a like cockiness, but there's a confidence that, hey, we know we belong. You know, we had that opportunity last year against UCLA. We saw what it looks like, and we were close. But this year, that chemistry, they just seem to have a championship DNA persona about the way they go about their business. Yeah, you talk about that UCLA matchup. That entire team is back this year. They have that, they have that nasty taste in their mouth going all out to UCLA, making it to the third game, that close to making it to Oklahoma City. So they're hungry and they're not cocky. They're, they're, they're like a blue collar team. You know, they come up, come to work, get the job done, go home ready for the next game. They're, they've got, they've got something to prove and I, and their heads aren't too big with all the success they have because just getting the super regionals is not going to be enough for this team this year. Brittany, we, we brought this up with Christina Foreman earlier in this hour. Softball's a small community. I know everyone is, is very tightly knit. And uh, the tragedy at, at James Madison with their catcher, Lauren Burnett, uh, taking her life via suicide. What has been the reverberation of that within this softball community? I, I think what you said, it was just, it has emphasized how tight this community really is. You know, you, you see the, the purple ribbons and the, the green ribbons for mental health and the, the conversations have, have been started within programs. I, I think teams are really talking to each other amongst themselves and reaching out. You go on social media and, you know, the support for JMU and, and Burnett's family, it's just, it, it's been a hard few weeks for for the softball community but i think it's put in to perspective you know how close this community is and that people have really shown that you can lean on each other and 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 have the resources to talk to one another but you know this the community is a family you know as much as we're competitors this is just one big family and that's been you know amplified the past couple weeks Brittany, as, as hot as this sport is, I'm getting back to the, the big picture here. Um, you know, we, we talked about how lacrosse has taken off, and we just had Amy Smith, the new gymnastics coach at Clemson, and gymnastics has taken off in terms of the 50-year anniversary of Title IX in women's sports. It seems like softball has never been hotter. I mean, it's on television nonstop. People love it. It's a fast game. 
the ladies are incredibly talented. Uh, the game is fast. There's runs scored. There's star power. Uh, you can't get a ticket at Oklahoma City. I mean, how does this sport get better? <laughs> you know, I, I think about where the game was when I played, I like to think not too long ago, and how good the athletes are now. You know, I, I, I'm glad I played when I did. <laughs> but it's, I think the talent, the commitment, the, the money that programs and conferences and ESPN have put in to make the, the world, the country see softball at a high level you know, it just ups the bar as a, a little kid sitting at home like, oh, so that's how you play. And that's how I want to play. And you start emulating that. And, you know, it goes back years and years ago. But now that that time and that investment is starting to catch up with us. And then you see even more investment into the sport. And I think it's just going to get bigger and stronger. Their technologies there. Schools are their budgets are getting bigger because they see the the return on investment with the production on the field. I, I think the sky's the limit with softball and I, the visibility on TV with ESPN has just been huge. And I, I think that has a lot to do with the success and the excitement and the buzz around the support. Well, I can see the, the real smile on your face, uh, just having a front row seat, number one, playing it and just watching how this thing is on the fast track. Cause it really is. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt. Oklahoma City's they added that upper deck and they're still sold out. I mean, you can't find a seat. It's going to be a fun year in Oklahoma this year. Yeah, no doubt. Listen, we always appreciate the time. And uh, again, we'll see what happens the last weekend of ACC regular season play and then tournament's going to be out of sight. And then we go on, like you said, the road to Oklahoma City. It's going to be tremendous. We appreciate the time as always. Thanks, guys. You got it. There's Brittany McKinney taking care of business. Front row seat. Again, so many sports are just on fire. Softball, one of them. Softball is made for television, though. It's the perfect. games move fast. A lot of times, sub two hours. Um, you know, it's exciting. You brought it up. You know, star pitchers, hitters, home runs. Small but the ladies ball. can play though, Anish. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, "Yeah, the game's fast," and they were in and out in two hours. But I mean, they're incredibly talented. Yeah, there's a lot to like. Tell you what, we got. We're lucky, man. That's why we're in the basement with dogs. That's how we do it. Although, you know, somebody else let another one go during that last He did? He he hit you again? Yeah, that's two. It's about right. (laughs) It's about par for the course. Brother Fuller, just making sure you're still awake. Good to go. we got one more segment. We come back. We'll put a bow on this bad boy. 844-SAY-ACCN, the number for the program. Anisha, of course, the voice of the Carolina Panthers. And it's got a little ACC time in this next segment. It's the Panthers. All that's coming up next right here. ACC Network. The Packer and Durham Podcast. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Promo, promo, promo. Saturday night, ACC Women's Lacrosse Championship game between number one North Carolina and number two BC, the all ACC team. Is going to break it down. we got highlights, interviews, players, coaches, you name it. We got it. It'll start around 8 p.m. Eastern time. Now, keep in mind, game starts at 6, all ACC at 8 p.m., all the post-game stuff you want. The number one and number two teams in the country playing for an ACC title. It will be spectacular on a Saturday night right here on ACC Network. 
All right. Speaking of, you've made it through the uh, show with uh, two sulfur biscuit bombs by uh, Brother Fuller. <laughs> yeah. You're still standing, which is uh, good. Little, little, little happy birthday from Fuller, right? <laughs> um, again, we kid around with the fact that we're thrilled that you're the voice of the Carolina I appreciate Panthers. appreciate that. Filling in for Wes, the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we just have the NFL draft, and the Panthers had a little ACC flavor to it. Sure did. Got uh, Iki Iquanu with their number one pick at sixth overall. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure anybody thought he would fall to six. And Nobody did. I was in the building the night of the draft, and you know you saw five defensive players go ahead of him, and all of a sudden there was this euphoria. Oh, my God, they're going to have their pick of their three tackles. And Icky, I mean, you've watched the film. You've watched a lot of NC State. When that ball is snapped, he has bad intentions. Right. He's a great pick. Great pick. He'll stabilize the left side of the offensive line. It's been a revolving door since Jordan Gross retired. Matt Corral, in the third round, he's somebody the team was very high on. They felt that was a steal to trade up and get him in the third round instead of maybe the second round or even you know late first round. And then sixth round, Amare Barno, pass rusher out of Virginia Tech, one of the fastest times for a D-end at the Combine. He's a little bit of a project. If he puts it together, that might be you know, a big-time pass rusher who can come in on third down that you find late in the draft. I gotta be, Can I be critical okay. of one thing? You can. I, I mean, I can because, I, I mean, I'm allowed to be. <laughs> you are the voice of the Panthers. Uh, could we – I thought, I really thought on Saturday there was going to be history made as a Clemson alum. Uh, okay, I know where this is going. I, I thought for sure that for the first time since dirt, the Carolina Panthers were going to select a Clemson Tiger in the NFL draft. That has never happened, which no. is – mind-numbing to me, but I thought that we got to the sixth, seventh round. Hey, there's this dude, Justin Ross. You might have heard of him. The Panthers could use some help at wide receiver. I really thought that was going to happen. I was uh, disappointed. I'm going to pivot here. See, Ross is a great case for the NIL stuff, right? I mean, th- oh, this was goodness. a guy after his freshman year, the Alabama game. Top 10 uh, pick. Top 10 future pick. Slam dunk right. and ends up with the Chiefs undrafted free agent. But maybe next year? I say, I've said it every year, and I bought PSLs originally back in the mid-'90s. You could go see my name down on one of those statues the, at the stadium, Mark and Amy Packer, PSL owner. And I thought, you know what? One of these days, Clemson's right down the road a couple mm-hmm. hours. In fact, the first year the Panthers was in Death Valley. Yeah. In Death were. Valley, right? Sam Mills, God rest his soul, all that great stuff. Uh, I just thought Justin Ross could be the first Clemson pick ever for the Panthers, but it didn't quite happen. We've got a few South Carolina guys, but I know that doesn't matter, that means matter to you. What have they won? <laughs> what, seriously, what have the Gamecocks won other than the uh, CarQuest Bowl or something? I mean, come on, please. Oh, well, they had five in a row against Clemson right during the Spurrier era. Please, point. don't even try to justify that with me. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I mean, oh, please don't go there. I, I know you're the voice of the Panthers, but you can't win that argument on this show ever. Sorry. I'm saying, hey, there's there's some lo- there is some local flavor. Icky Iguanu's a I love a the Charlotte pick. kid, right? I thought the Icky pick was a home, home run. run, home run. And regardless of what quarterback still left standing, Icky's gonna knock somebody on the rear end. I thought that was a brilliant pick. He may knock multiple people on his rear end during a single play. I mean, he gets to the second level. He's got a mean streak. They want to be a downhill running team. He's going to help tremendously. I think the other area he's really going to help is it helps Christian McCaffrey. Less tackles to be broken behind the line of scrimmage. You know, again, when you think of running backs 
unfortunately, we have to think of shelf life. You know, they don't last as long as players at other positions, and this may help McCaffrey lengthen his career. Jonathan Stewart, you know, the former Panthers running back, made that point with us on draft day. So there's going to be a trickle-down effect. Um, there's finally an offensive line that looks good with what they've done in free agency in the draft. And Icky, you guys have had him on the show, right? Oh, sure, he's great. Yeah, great, awesome. great kid, great human Gregarious. being on top of right. being an unbelievable player. Right, totally agree. He, he will be great in the community. He's coming home. He's coming I mean, home. he gets it. He wants to play. He's like Kenny Pickett playing for the boys up there in Pittsburgh. Uh, I thought it was a no-brainer pick. And he, I think he will be a not a good pro. I think he'll be a great pro. Great pro. And there and there's a few receivers to watch too from the ACC. Charleston Rambo, undrafted free agent. I like that pick too. Not Miami. Signing. Yeah, was a kid who started at Oklahoma, big right. time recruit. There's there's some untapped potential and there may be a role for him. Um Andrew Parchment, KU transfer who finished at Florida State. Another guy to watch out for. I like it. All right. Well, hopefully uh success on that front. I'm thrilled for you though. Man. I appreciate it. I mean, yeah, we got to get you and Amy out to a game this year. So well, you know, the, the day you sign a Clemson guy on the draft, I oh, might, uh, it's, it's you know, like that. I, I've already made my PSL investment. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know what else you want from me. Good God. I mean, you've already tapped me out. <laughs> what kind of ticket could you get me there over there? No. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun, man. I'm glad you survived, Fuller. Two sulfur bombs. Hey, buddy. You're right. able to make we're, it. We're still cool. All right. That's good news. And again, you like this weekend from a lacrosse standpoint, Notre Dame Duke. Dice roll game, right? Flip a coin? Flip a coin. Great history. It's going to be physical. It's going to be fun. ESPN2, that's Saturday. The selection show, Sunday, 9 p.m. ESPNU. Uh, before we get out of here, many, many thanks to Rachel, Rachel Sharkey, who did a great job. She's been with us from the very beginning of the launch of the ACC Network. She's gotten a huge promotion. We wish her the very best. Great job by Chrissy and Casey and Drew and the rest of the crew, all the smart folks. Wes is back tomorrow. Folks, enjoy your Tuesday. We'll catch you tomorrow right here on ACC Network. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.